They call it NYC's Lost Neighborhood, or the Old West, a little triangle of land right on the Brooklyn border of Queens, New York. It looks like if the apocalypse hit your town, but left the one right next to yours completely unscathed. And I guess that's what made it so popular as a mob burial ground. This is the true crime story of The Hold, the New York City neighborhood that time forgot and organized crime adopted. The pictures of it look like something out of another time, a much worse time. You know, like when you see those photos of the Bronx from the 1970s where the houses are all burned out piles of rubble. Lonely houses, flooded streets, standing water that's been there so long it's covered in a thick film of algae. Famously walkable New York isn't walkable here because there are no sidewalks. It looks like the Ninth Ward after Katrina or the aftermath of one of those sinkholes that swallows whole trucks. One resident said, when I was a kid, my friend's house was so underground we used to stand on the sidewalk to put Christmas lights on his roof. In a 2014 Curb.com article, one resident said that he wasn't aware of the nickname. But if you type the whole NYC into Google Maps, it knows just what you mean. The whole is just six blocks by three blocks, a triangle of a neighborhood surrounded by other neighborhoods you might know, like Ozone Park, where the Aqueduct Racetrack and Resorts World Casino are, Howard Beach, where you get off the NYC subway and switch over to the air train to JFK Airport, and Brownsville, traditionally known as the murder capital of New York City. But any glimmer of the glitz of the casino or excitement of international travel is completely gone here, where you're more likely to see a stray chicken than a craps table. Amazingly, the streets here are named things like emerald, ruby, and sapphire, either someone's sick joke or maybe just aspiration. It's called the hole because you literally walk downhill almost into a pit to get to the center of it. Some say 12 feet and some say as many as 30 feet downhill from the nearby streets. It's said that on rainy days, residents have to use kayaks or rafts to get around as the pit they live in fills with water, or they act like ancient kings and dig moats around their homes for protection. During Hurricane Sandy and Ida, water would come up through their floorboards from the ground below. In the winter, the standing water freezes into a dangerous skating rink, and the snowdrifts cover everything as the city plows ignore these side streets that sometimes aren't even paved. One resident said that there used to be a sign posted at the entrance of the neighborhood by the Department of Transportation that literally just said, Hole. It was a warning about the dip downhill, but the nickname was born. As someone who's been in New York City for ages, it was shocking to me to find out only recently that this neighborhood even exists. I think of NYC as like neon lights, $20 cocktails, and penthouses with their own rooftop swimming pools. And here's this neighborhood that looks more like Appalachia. I live in 900 square feet with 25 floors of people stacked on top of me, and here are abandoned lots and whole standalone houses with no neighbors. The median price per square foot in Manhattan is over $1,600, but houses in the whole are more like $200 per square foot. I mean, sure, you have to paddle out of your front yard every morning, but you're still on the A-train line like millions of other New Yorkers. But how did the whole come to be so wildly different from the rest of NYC? Well, a century ago, the area was farmland, with a pond up on one side that fed into a creek. Up until 1953, the area was known for growing vegetables and is said to have belonged to the Brockman brothers, the radish kings of Long Island. Families lived in what looked like little country homes with backyards and fruit trees. But the swampy soil there combined with the low-lying ground meant that water had nowhere to drain as more of the land was covered in asphalt. And even as the area was built up over time, it couldn't be connected to the city's sewer system. 
Sewers usually rely on gravity to pull waste into the pipes below to the street, but the houses in the hole are so low that they're already below the street level of the surrounding neighborhoods. The area's waste has to go into septic tanks that rupture or leak over time due to lack of funds to maintain them, so that water you see standing around the hole may not just be water. The land is so contaminated that even though the city and the residents push for real estate revitalization projects, no developer will touch it. The locals just put boards and pallets over the standing water to help each other walk around the edges. Strangers bring their trash here. There are broken down RVs and used up cars without any regard for who the land might belong to. They say that the people who live in the hole are the Alaskans of New York City, people who want to be forgotten. And that might just be what made it attractive as a dumping ground for the mob's leftovers. The first body was discovered in 1981 when some children playing in a vacant lot smelled something stanky and discovered the buried hand of one of the five families' capos. To give just a little background here for those of you who may not be so mob-inclined, the Don is the boss of the family, and the capo regime, or capos, are his lieutenants with their own direct reports. The five families were the five most powerful mafia outfits here in New York City, and in the 1930s, Charles Lucky Luciano brought their bosses together to form the commission. It was basically the United Nations of the mob, representing the families and getting their money-making schemes and murder plans approved by each other. Well, the story goes that one of the capos of the Bonanno family, Joseph Messino, got word that his fellow capos, Alphonse Sunny Red Indelicato, Dominic Big Trin, Trinchera, and Philip, Phil Lucky, Giacone, were planning to try to take control of the family. They'd been stockpiling automatic weapons in preparation for a hit. After consulting with bosses from the Colombo and Gambino families, because nothing brings crime bosses together like a potential coup, the Bonanno Capo went to the commission for permission to take out his three rival capos before they could act. Permission was granted. And later that year, in 1981, one of them, Sonny Red, was discovered by those kids in a shallow grave in the hole, rolled up in a carpet. It wasn't until 2004 that Big Trin and Phil Lucky would be found there too, after a tip came in from an informant. That Bonanno capo who put out the hit on the three, Joseph Messino, eventually became head of the Bonanno family and was known as the last Don because he stayed out of prison so long. But in 2003, Messino and some close associates were indicted on racketeering charges and Messino was charged with the 1981 murder of those three capos. Before he could even go to trial, three family members would flip on him and cooperate with the FBI, including Messino's brother-in-law, who was also his right-hand underboss. Messino was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole in July 2004. And that informant who told the FBI where to look for the other two capos' bodies in the hole? That was Bonanno boss Joseph Messino, himself flipping on his family. He was only the second boss in American Mafia history and the first sitting boss of one of the New York families to do so. It was revealed at trial that it was John Gotti's crew who disposed of the bodies in the hole in 1981 as a favor to his childhood friend, Joseph Messino. Gotti, who later became head of the Gambino family, loved to hang out just down the way from the hole at Lenny's Clam Bar and the Bergen Hunt and Fish Club, so it's no surprise that he knew about the area as a primo location for losing some perishable goods, if you know what I mean. Locals in the hole will tell you that the FBI found a few bodies in this backyard, a few bodies in that backyard, four over there on the corner, and a developer had to stop building the new strip mall nearby when they started digging up bones. You know, just a normal Tuesday in the hole. Not to scare you, but this is John Gotti's burial room. They found 
several bodies in this yard. They found seven across the street, four on the corner, about 13 over here in that mall. Yeah, they stopped that project last summer because they found bone fragments. So that was on stop for a little while. The city talks from time to time about fixing the hole, but it's estimated to cost 80 to 100 million to raise the neighborhood streets and hook it up to the NYC sewer system. Another option would be to buy out all the residents and move them somewhere nearby so that the land can be slowly reclaimed by nature. But no one likes to be forcibly kicked out of their home, even if they do have to kayak into the driveway anytime it rains. And also, they now have an auto zone, a Chuck E. Cheese, and two dollar stores right around the corner. The neighborhood is flourishing. Now, I don't mean any disrespect to the people who live in the hole, because I know some people have to live there and some people want to live there. I hope its 269 residents get the respect they deserve and take pride in the persistence needed to thrive in their little corner of NYC. If they can make it there, they can truly make it anywhere. Thank you for tuning into my podcast episode. I'm just a true crime fan like you are, and I really appreciate you taking a chance on me. Please subscribe and tell a friend if you like spending this time together. You can also find me on YouTube in the flesh by searching Katie Does Crime.